But the most important thing is applying that forward intent by continuing to show up, even if you're not going, you know, zero to 60 in your training. Maybe it's going to be just a 20 mile an hour day. You're still going to go farther by spending however long doing going 20 miles an hour. Uh, this is where you're zero. meant to be. Like, I know it. I've never... My best self is better than every single person who's going to walk on that platform that night. Gosh, man, that was, was a moment to change my life, man. Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again. The journey to a better you starts right now. So I'm a big skeptic when I see other styles of training that I haven't necessarily seen before, as I think we should all be in the social media world. I think there's a lot of people out there who are going to tell you this is exactly the way, this is what you need to do to get ripped, to get shredded. There's all those buzzwords out there, but my guest this week, Alex Salkin, just looking at his YouTube channel, I just see some of the craziest body weight and uh, mobility that I've really seen before. He does all this not going to a gym, uses kettlebells, calisthenics, stuff like that. And uh, I thought it was interesting to just learn from him, his style of training, how it can be incorporated into your style of training. So whether you're CrossFit, weightlifting athlete, whatever you may be, you can add this kind of stuff into your daily training. He has the nine minute challenge, which I'll link in the show notes and uh, shows you how to incorporate kettlebells and just different styles that you probably haven't done before into your training. So hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Let's shoot it there now. I have an article pulled up because I was on WebMD and I was like, there is no way that this CVS thing, I thought you like photoshopped it, but it says exercises you should avoid after 50. Um, Leg extension machine, which, okay, Okay, exactly, whatever. Back extension on a Roman chair. Um, but this one, behind the neck pull-downs or pull-ups, plyometric exercises, also known as jump training, overhead presses, heavy weights, and it says, lifting weights is a great way to build muscle and strength, but when you're over 50, there's no reason to push yourself too hard. Try a slightly lighter weight that you can do safely for 10 to 12 reps. And then sprinting. That's crazy that you should have, you should be avoiding all those things if you turn 50. Here's the thing. There's actually a lot of good advice in there, but it's very incomplete. You know, like, okay, don't like, yeah, definitely don't start doing plyometric training if you've just been like a, you know, a, a desk jockey for many years. But there's no question you can work up to it. Likewise, you know, with sprinting, you don't want to start off like that. But if you're 50, it's not like, your best bet is to just roll over and die, you know, <laughs> or worse, start doing Pilates or something like that. Like you can build up to those things, but yeah, to just like outright say, nah, I don't do this stuff. That's just foolishness. I, uh, yeah, I, I can't, I can't abide. Yeah. Really. My, my whole thing is like when I see somebody who's at CrossFit or something, who's doing pull-ups, doing push-ups at that age, that inspires me. That motivates me. I want to be that person who's just, you know, running five K's and climbing up mountains and just doing crazy shit and being like, Oh, that guy's 72. Like, I think that's awesome. It's amazing. Well, that's the thing is that the people that you see who have aged the best are the ones who've stayed the strongest and the most muscular. So you should find a way to do that. You know, you don't say, well, you know what? My, my window of opportunity closed when I was like 22 and a half. So I guess it's just knitting and golf, you know, from now on for me, it's like, no way, man. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of every 
strength training modality, people think like, oh, you know, I didn't, didn't start that early enough. So can't do CrossFit, can't get into weightlifting, can't get into whatever sport, martial arts. They're all like, you know, if, if I would have started at 20 or if I would like the best time to start is obviously 10, 20 years ago. But if you didn't start, then probably best time to start is right now. And obviously, like you said, you're not going to start cranking out a set of 10 pull-ups we're probably going to get you on the band we're going to get you doing some negatives we're going to get you you know doing things that you can do right away but it's going to be hey everybody can eventually work up to that absolutely yeah and everybody that's the other thing is that like you know what you were what you're referencing like the article that you were talking about and i think there was also it was uh, it was something that was on tv that's i think that's what we're referring to like a screenshot Mm -hmm. on tv referencing the study or whatever it's like um, I, you've always, I've always got to like toe a very fine line when I give people this advice, but I'll be like, listen, your doctor probably is not the best person to talk to about health. They're, maybe he or she is a very good person to talk to about sickness and how to become not sick, but they don't really, like, it's not really their job to make you healthy. Healthy is like you're robust, you know, you're resilient and doctor's job is not to make you robust or resilient. And this is not a knock on Western medicine. This is just a fact their job is to get you not sick anymore. And so if they're giving you health advice, unless there are some doctors who are really, they understand the process of getting strong and fit and healthy, you should probably find uh, a different professional who can safely lead you at least toward the direction of whatever goals you're after. You know, like if you want to start being able to sprint again and you haven't done it in a while, well, maybe find a quality sprint coach, you know, or, somebody who has done enough of these things that they can help you to get stronger so that when you do find a sprinting coach, they can, they can actually make some, some actionable steps toward getting you toward your goal. But to just say, well, look, you know what? We didn't cover this in medical school, so there's just no way that you can do it. Uh, you know, you'd better just call it quits now. You know, sure, you'll probably live to be 80, so the next 30 years of your life should be you know, pure misery and, and degradation. But... Uh, Hey, it, you know, at least you you didn't tweak anything. That's just that's a completely fast backwards way of approaching it. What do you think people should look for? Say like, okay, say you want to get back into sprinting because now you see everybody on Instagram is a sprint coach or they're a nutrition coach or they're whatever. But uh, what do you kind of say? You don't really know anything. Like you're just looking at, hey, I want to get back into sprinting. But like, how do you go about sorting through everything that's on Instagram? Like. How do you see who's reliable and who's not? Yeah, the thing to keep in mind about Instagram is that it's an amazing resource for finding some really, really good coaches. But a lot of them are kind of diamonds in the rough because you've got a lot of other people who, you know, they maybe they they might be very well meaning. You know, I don't think they're all grifters by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but in many cases, the information you're going to find pertaining to training and fitness. Uh, if it's relevant at all, it may be more relevant to people who are a couple of years ahead of you in terms of their preparation. So, um, you know, it's funny you should ask about like sprinting and, and jumping and that sort of a thing, because uh, as of last week, as of the time of this recording, I was in uh, North Carolina working on a new course with John Brookfield. Uh, John Brookfield is the guy who invented battling ropes. So if you see the people, you know, whipping these these heavy ropes around and stuff like that, so he and I are, are working on a course together, and one of the elements is going to be learning how to basically prepare your body to be 
able to jump and sprint and that sort of thing. There's no actual jumping or sprint training in them, but rather kind of teaching your body how to uh, withstand the rigors of those things so that when you do decide that you want to, you know, move on to training with a, a coach, work with poly, work on plyometrics or, you know, track and field related stuff like sprinting and what have you, you should at least be better prepared. What I think that most people need to do is first and foremost, realize that in most cases, it's more than likely very probable that they can get back to doing a lot of these things. There are exceptions to the rule, but for instance, Franz Snydman, who is an excellent sprinting coach, um, he told me many years ago that, you know, among the students that he's trained, he's had like 80 year olds who he's helped, who's he's helped to work to sprint again. You know, so think about that. Like this is a, a few years beyond 50 and he's had these people work up to being able to sprint. Now, what he told me is that it took a long time to get them there and they had to do a lot of preparatory stuff to make sure that they were going to be safe doing it because it's a really, really high velocity activity. And it's kind of like, you know, you wouldn't get behind the wheel of a, of a classic car knowing nothing about, you know, the maintenance that's been done on it, if there are any parts that are needed or whatever, and then just gun it as fast as you can down the street because something would very possibly pop, you know, or break or what have you. Um, so you have to, you have to be cognizant of that. The second thing is that a good rule in general for anything related to moving something quickly, whether it's your own body or whether it's a kettlebell, barbell, it doesn't matter, is that you got to walk before you can run. This is, I don't know if you ever watched the old Looney Tunes, but you know, Foghorn Leghorn used to say that. So you have to be able to move slowly before you can move quickly. Um, you we talked about martial arts. If you see a, a good martial artist, if you see somebody doing like the kata, like very slowly, now I know maybe you're not into traditional martial arts, but everybody's seen that, you know, the karate is doing very slow and deliberate um, kata and then doing it very quickly. Well, then they can apply that while they're sparring or while they're, you know, fighting or what have you. And they have a lot more power. They have a lot more control and a lot more speed. So the first thing is you need to be able to move slowly. If you do have some sort of let's say, um, joint-related issue or connective tissue problems or something like that, better find that out when you're moving slowly than, you know, 100 miles an hour or the equivalent, you know, for the human body. So that would be the first step is making sure that you can do what you want to do slowly. And then when the time has come, you can start working on adding speed. The details of that are going to be really dependent on every individual. So you, it's not like there's just like, here's a... a a pirate map, you know, go apply this. And next thing you know, you'll be sprinting at the ripe old age of 80 or something like that. You're going to need somebody who can lead you, but that's always going to be the first step is making sure that you can do things slowly before you do them quickly. Yeah. I think that's super good advice. And as a, so I compete in weightlifting and then also do jujitsu. So a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing on your Instagram page is not something that I'm doing personally in training. Sure. So I really wanted to kind of take this opportunity for the podcast to just sell us on kettlebells, sell us on body weight training. And, and because I think it's easy to look at when you're doing some crazy Hindu pushups and one arm stuff. And it's easy to be like, Oh wow, that guy's super strong. But I'll never get to that point or I'll never be able to do that. So, so kind of sell us on, on your whole training philosophy. Well, mine is one that is more focused on people who are not competitive athletes, but are in, uh, training enthusiasts. They like being strong. 
They like being fit. They like being able to keep up with their kids and grandkids, or even more importantly, give them a run for their money for as long as they humanly can, you know. Um, and I think that if I were to try to sell kettlebells and calisthenics to an Olympic lifting crowd in particular, let's say, the first thing that I would do is I would say anything that's not going to be relevant to your uh, sport or competition in some way, whether that means filling a gap, and well, we'll say in terms of filling a gap, we'll use more technical terminology in your general physical preparedness, then you probably don't need to do it. Likewise with calisthenics. But having said that, uh, one of the things that I have found with a lot of Olympic lifters at high levels, and this is specifically true of the Chinese team. If you there's a the Chinese Olympic lifting coach, I don't know if he's the national coach or if he's just you know, uh, one of the guys that they that they look to for for their training. I, he might be the Olympic or the Nationals coach, but uh, Coach Fang is his name, and I think he's got uh, somebody has either gone to the the trouble of putting his protocols online or his philosophies or whatever. Um, one of the things he and a variety of other Chinese Olympic lifting coaches will have their students do, and this is on the body weight side of things is work on really improving their muscularity and they use just classic bodybuilding moves we not purely bodybuilding but uh, like chin-ups and dips and uh, as well as handstand push-ups and other things like that as a way of trying to increase their size and strength in their shoulder girdle what he pointed out was and this again this may not be relevant to you because you may be broad-shouldered and what have you but he said that in on average and by God, okay, anybody who's listening to this, I'm not making any racist statements. This is what Coach Fang said, so please don't think this is something else. But he said that on average, Chinese people have uh, narrower shoulder girdles. So in order to be really, uh, uh, really especially good, and I'm paraphrasing, really good at Olympic lifting, they're going to have to make sure that they kind of bridge that gap between the narrow shoulder girdles that the Chinese have on average and do that with some conventional bodybuilding type of training. And again, much of it is with calisthenics. So whether that is uh, weighted pull-ups, weighted dips, uh, handstand push-ups with a partner holding on to them, and a variety of other things like that, as well as maybe more traditional things we might recognize as bodybuilding, like lateral raises and, and things like that to make their shoulders larger. Uh, that has been something that the Chinese believe has been uh, extremely potent in helping them to get a lot stronger and uh, be able to be competitive in Olympic weightlifting. And last time I checked, they're they're still very competitive. Yeah, I, I'm they're, not a, they're more than competitive. They're the yeah, best. They're, they're, they're all yeah, the best. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're kind of at the top of the top. Now, again, I don't want to feel any angry, and you probably don't want this either, to feel any angry comments like, oh, well, yeah, but they've got steroids and they've got... Uh, uh, and it is true that, you know, most of these teams use vitamin S, but... Um, and they also, and then in the case of the Chinese, they have a very specific protocol. The Soviet Union did this too, where they would seek out, they would go to villages, you know, people who would do anything to get out of, you know, the, the, the terrible existence that they were born into, the poverty ridden, uh, uh, poverty ridden existence. And they try to find people who might excel at certain sports. And so there are certain things that they're looking for in somebody's build. If you're six foot six, you're not going to be a good Olympic lifter. It's just, you might be able to do the Olympic lifts, but you're never going to probably be much of a medalist because the, the weight has to travel too far. You know, if you look at guys like Naim Sulemonyalu, one of the greatest Olympic lifters who ever lifted, he's like, he was like 4'11", right? Mm -hmm. He was like super tiny. And you know who I'm referring to. Yeah, right? Pocket Hercules. That's right. The Bulgarian 
Turk. Um, he, yeah, he clean and jerked like three times his body weight, which is just unreal. Uh, but again, he was like, you called pocket Hercules for a reason. The guy was like 4'11". So um, the, the the Chinese authorities, or whatever you want to call them, the sport authorities, will try to find people who are going to fit the right size, you know, fit the right attributes that they're looking for. And then they spend many years kind of training them and preparing them for whatever that sport may be. And in the, in the case of Olympic lifting, obviously they have a certain body type that they're looking for. But regardless, they use a lot of calisthenics and other movements to help increase muscularity and specifically upper body calisthenics exercises. I think we could agree that a lower body, uh, they've got that on the lockdown. You know, you just do tons of squats and, you know, clean pulls and cleans and snatches and, you know, Lord only knows what else. And you're, you're probably going to get to where you need to go. Now, on the kettlebell side of things, it's interesting that you should ask because uh, I don't know 100% what the best way to apply kettlebell training to Olympic lifting would be, but I have some theories about things that might help just based off of the attributes that kettlebell can, uh, kettlebells can help you to develop and what the stated goals of Olympic, the Olympic lifts are. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind right off the bat would be the need to be able to move very quickly. So obviously, you know, when we're talking about uh, the clean and jerk, the snatch, things like that, you're not doing insane volume in your training with either with uh, with either of these lifts at all. Um, at least not to the best of my knowledge. And if I'm wrong, I, by all means, you know, correct me. So uh, one of the things that could potentially be valuable for the Olympic lifter with when it comes to kettlebell training is a, I would say, using the ballistic lifts like kettlebell swings, kettlebell snatches, high pulls, things like that, uh, as a means of adding a bit of extra work capacity as well as uh, getting some more explosive practice into your training, but albeit with a much lighter weight. So um, now, having not trained any Olympic lifters myself, I don't know if this would actually be feasible or not, but it seems reasonable. Uh, the other thing would be to take a similar approach to we talked about a second ago with the Chinese Olympic lifters, um, using calisthenics as a means of trying to increase their, you know, the their muscularity and their the size of their shoulder girdles, and uh, would be to use kettlebells to fill some gaps that you're not going to get with your Olympic lifts. So you might need to take on some of what the the Russians used to call the odd lifts. But this is a term they used in America too. But so stuff like Turkish get-ups. Um, widely renowned for being really good for shoulder stability, helping to you know pack a lot of strength in some of the nooks, crannies, and angles that don't often get trained uh, with the more conventional stuff that we like to do, such as military presses and jerks and, and things like that. Uh, another good one in terms of flexibility could be stuff like the windmill, which is going to involve rotation at the spine as well as uh, uh, hinging at the hip but done in a way where the, the back leg, the kind of the, the lead leg is going to be locked out. So it's great for helping to stretch the hips out, stretch the hamstrings, glutes, things like that, while also getting some rotational strength. And again, if you've ever seen a, a windmill and you know what it looks like, it involves you supporting a, a kettlebell and a working hand at the same time. So again, some extra shoulder girdle strength. Um, the, the other thing that I think would be valuable would be uh, again, potentially using it to even out strength imbalances wherever they may be on uh, on the limbs. So obviously with 
when you're doing squats, you're doing cleans, uh, snatches, all of these different things, you're using both limbs at the same time. But if you've got one limb that's a lot stronger, that's pulling harder, uh, that's you know pressing more, whatever it may be, uh, what you're going to find is it's going to most likely what you're going to find is it's going to be hard to continue to overload the um, the the limb that's kind of taken a smoke break. So if like 65% of the work is being done on your right hand and 35 is being done on the left, you're more likely to continue to build up this imbalance than just have the left side, you know, continue to to get stronger. It may get stronger, but that disparity might remain. So there's no guarantee that you're going to eliminate the likelihood of injury or tweak or whatever uh, by by uh, Im improving your symmetry. But I think most people would agree uh, it's at least a good way of mitigating the likelihood that you're going to get jacked up. And so doing that for the lower body as well as the upper body in a variety of ways, um, I think the kettlebell can be a very valuable tool in that regard. I feel like we're already super deep in the weeds and I love this, but one thing I was talking about today is just Olympic weightlifting is basically all in one plane. Everything's up and down. You're not a split jerk. You're moving your foot forward, but like your body is up and down and it's sometimes it's really good because you might have like a back tweak or a neck tweak and it's like, well, at least I don't have to turn. Like everything is just straight up yep. and then down basically. And then squats are straight up deadlifting. So how important is it that you get outside of that single plane? Like how, how important do you think that training is? I think, well, again, it's very easy to say for like the, the average person, I think that's like the essence of getting, uh, getting fit in general is it's like, you know, you don't want to, you're not trying to get too good. You're not trying to get especially good at just one thing, mm -hmm. but in a case like yours, where you are trying to get especially good at one thing. And in this case, the Olympic lifts, um, this is where I would, again, put kettlebells and calisthenic, potentially calisthenics training in the field of like some general physical preparedness. Now, obviously, true GPP is also going to mean aerobic fitness and flexibility and a variety of things like that. But if we just look at the strength side of, of the equation, um, again, this is where stuff like Turkish get-ups are going to be awesome uh, or windmills or bent presses, things like that, uh, or even progressions for all of these things. So if you can't do the full thing, um, likewise, arm bars, which, you know, I, in jujitsu, that's the last thing that you want to have happen is you end up in, in an arm bar, right? But the kettlebell arm bar is essentially you'd be laying on the ground kind of on your side and you'd have the weight, if you can imagine it, you'd have the weight uh, kind of pointed up toward the ceiling. So let's say you're laying on the ground on your, on your rib cage or whatever, and you have your feet splayed in such a way that you can get some stability. And then you can get into this, what's called the armbar position, as a means of trying to improve your thoracic rotation, uh, as well as overhead mobility. There's some other uh, benefits to it. But that, I think, is where the kettlebell really shines. I, I do think that with dumbbells and barbells specifically, like you pointed out, it's, it's hard to get out of that just up and down or back and forth uh, you know, kind of approach. Kettlebell training makes it quite a bit easier if you know what you're doing and if you've properly prepared for it. Uh, and it can make a great complement to your weightlifting and specifically by potentially keeping you healthier, making sure that you're maintaining uh, a decent amount of uh, muscular and strength development in other planes that you might not need for the sport, but you might need to, you know, make sure that you're healthy outside of it. Because the last thing anybody wants is like what my friend, uh, Mark Rifkin, who was a power lifter for many years said that he was so banged up at one point, he was like, look, just Put me in a wheelchair, wheel me over to the platform. I'll do my squat, and then I'll get back in the wheelchair, and you can 
Well, nobody really wants to develop that, even if it's going to mean you know gold medal. People want to be able to to function outside of their their training. So yeah, I think that uh, that is one way that you can use a kettlebell is to break out of the mold of a lot of the the stuff that you're going to be doing within your chosen sport, and help make sure that your development stays well maintained uh, in things that again you don't directly need for your sport, but you do directly need in order to stay healthy and and well balanced overall. So how do you even, what's like the first step when you get into kettlebell training? Like, are you trying to find a coach or professional who's really going to teach you? Because, I mean, a a lot of times in CrossFit, like, you know, the general, you do the kettlebell snatch or just, um, just kettlebell swings. They have Russian and American where you're going fully overhead, but you, I mean, it's just, it's a hard thing to get into when you don't really know what you're doing. So to see somebody who's super efficient with a kettlebell, you're like, I don't think like, where can I find a kettlebell that's light enough to do this? But, uh, but what's like in the kettlebell field, who are you kind of seeking out first? Well, I'm a little biased because I'm a a strong first instructor. Uh, strong first is the, uh, organization that was founded by Pavel Tsepsulin who is the guy, he's like the kettlebell dude. So the reason any of us have heard of kettlebells is because he and a business partner uh, teamed up many years ago and started putting on courses, started writing books about the topic. And and Pavel has also gone on to become a subject matter expert to the U.S. Marines, I, I think the Navy SEALs, uh, you know, variety of, uh, I think, professional sports teams. Don't quote me on that. I could be wrong about that. But uh, definitely military applications for sure And because that's his background. He was... Uh, physical training instructor for the Spetsnaz, which was the uh, Soviet Special Forces back in the in the Cold War. And um, so I got certified through him about 12 years ago in a previous organization. So again, now it's called Strong First, um, but uh, it went under a different banner uh, many years ago. And they're extraordinarily good. They're, they're it's very, very rigorous training to go through. So number one, yeah, I do think that it's important to see an instructor. There have been a few cases where I've met people who were self-taught and their kettlebell lifts actually looked good. Um, generally, if you if you get, uh, there's a lot of great training material out there that can point you in the right direction, but you'll get the most out of your efforts by uh, having a, an instructor look at your technique and kind of guide you through them. Very same thing with, with Olympic lifting, you know, like I could probably do yeah, a number of the, I know I can do the clean, but I don't know how good it is. Meaning I'm sure that if I were to go to you and you were to look at my barbell clean, you'd be like, okay, you need to fix. Here's, you'd roll out a scroll and you'd be like, here are the things that you need to fix to make this not completely embarrassing. Um, but I know like enough to, to be able to perform it at a very, very basic level. And I think that's what you can expect out of, uh, for most people, um, the kettlebell, if they don't get a lot of, of instruction. Now, the nice thing is that you really don't need a lot of instruction per se, because uh, kettlebell training in general is a lot less technical than um, I would say barbell training in general, but Olympic lifting in particular, because the barbell is a lot less forgiving on the body. So you really do need to have technique like really well dialed in. There are movements like I think the deadlift, uh, squat, things like this that don't necessarily, I'm thinking back squat specifically, that don't necessarily have the same level of complexity as like the snatch, uh, the clean and jerk, you know, things like that. But nevertheless, you need to be very spot on with them. K- 
kettlebells again are more forgiving. Um, there's more typically more wiggle room in the technique to do them uh, acceptably, and then as you whittle it down to finding out what your specific technique needs to be based on a variety of factors, let's say limb length, you know, for military press or snatch or whatever it may be, the better you'll get at it. But generally speaking, uh, people who are reasonably strong and athletic and and move well, have decent mobility, can usually pick up kettlebell training pretty quickly, but they're always going to make the fastest gains by finding a qualified instructor. Um, and nowadays, there are good qualified instructors all over the place. I know you live in Pennsylvania. Um, there are a lot of good instructors in your neck of the woods, in fact. So um, if you live in a more rural area, you know, uh, maybe a little bit more challenging. But if you live anywhere in, like close to a metropolitan area in the U.S. Uh, and definitely places throughout Europe and even beyond, a lot of times you can find a, a pretty good instructor who would help you out. I like that. I think a lot more people need to seek out things that make them feel strong. Like yeah. I, th- I think Olympic weightlifting is not for everybody. Kettlebells aren't going to be for everybody. CrossFit's not for everybody. But if you can find that thing that really makes you feel strong and makes you feel capable, I think that's a good thing. So if we can get kettlebells in the hands of more people and it it's their thing, they enjoy it. It's um, something that makes them feel good. Like I'm all for it. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's very easy. And I, maybe you experienced this. I know I did. In my early days of, you know, being a, a kettlebell fanatic, it was kind of like it was kettlebells or nothing. And then, you know, as I got more experience and actually I actually became a trainer, I started to see, you know what, there are a lot of things that um, people can do and get a lot out of. And even though I might prefer that they use kettlebell training and then later added, you know, calisthenics and that sort of a thing. Um, we have a, an epidemic of obesity and sedentary living and i would much rather people find something that they really enjoy and stick with that and then let that develop you know because maybe they start off and they're like oh yeah i'm gonna do uh you know let's say some bodybuilding and i'm you know and then they're like ah you know what but i i feel like there's something i'm missing maybe i'll try this kettlebell thing or maybe i'll try this olympic lifting thing um whatever they start with it doesn't have to be the ending point it doesn't mean they're stuck there you know like it, the most important thing is people find something that they enjoy and they keep at it because, again, we've got a, uh, an increasingly unhealthy society, at least in the U.S. Maybe it's different you know, for your European listeners. And uh, death is winning, so you might as well do something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, it is, it, like, it is easy to get into. Um, yeah, because, I mean, when you look at, especially like we're talking about the Chinese weightlifters, when you're seeing the amount of weight that they're doing for a lot of people, that's super intimidating. So if you say, you know, 35 pound, 53 pound kettlebell, a lot of people are going to be able to do that. Whether they're going to do it well or not is, is another thing, but people can pick that thing up and at least, you know, get started probably on day one instead of being like, Oh, I got to do the barbell for a long time. Right. Or you think like, you know what, the Olympic lifting, and this is just a a necessity of the sport, is you might spend spend a lot of time with a PVC pipe. You know, you might spend a lot of time doing doing stuff that you don't immediately see the benefit of. It's like in some ways, I think starting Olympic lifting, at least from what I've seen, is kind of like dieting, meaning it's important that you do it. And if you want to be successful, here's how you have to eat or whatever. And likewise, here's how you have to prepare for Olympic lifting. but you don't feel the immediate effects. It's like you have to have this kind of this faith that, okay, what I'm doing now is building me up to something that's going to be a lot, that's going to allow me to do the cool stuff later. And if you're, I think if you're really devoted to Olympic lifting, you'll say, I'll do it. 
because this is what I want to do this is what I have my mind set on. Um, I think a lot of people there, what brings them into fitness or strength training in general is the idea that I, oh, I want to do this or I want to do that. And then they, they start working toward that thing and they find out, okay, this isn't really what I wanted to do. I, I just want to get stronger in general. I want to be fitter in general. I'll give you an example. And you'll, you train people, correct? I do not, no. You do not? Okay. Um, well, then you won't ever have to deal with this kind of <laughs> irritation, uh, but you'll still find it funny, I think. Um, many years ago, this is when I was training at the Dragon Gym in uh, Exton, PA. So for those of you who uh, like Taekwondo and martial arts, that's a great place to go to. Um, but I was a kettlebell instructor there, and there was a gentleman who said he wanted to work on um, improving his Turkish getup. And uh, he wanted to get back to swinging. Now, uh, kettlebell swing, particularly, um, just so nobody had any mistakes. I know that we're not talking <laughs> to a kettlebell audience specifically, but his kettlebell swing specifically. Um, and uh, he had had some surgery of some kind that left him without feeling on the bottoms of his feet. Now, you know, you don't have to be a trainer to know that if you, if you can't really feel what your feet are doing, it's going to be very difficult to do a lot of very ballistic kind of movements. You know, so uh, same is true for kettlebells as it is for Olympic lifting. And I, I really feel like I did some of my best work ever. We worked together for like eight weeks, two, two sessions per week. And despite a, a variety of mobility uh, problems that he had, uh, inability to, you know, feel his, his feet and stuff like that, he hit a bunch of PRs. And again, keep in mind, he told me that he wanted to get better at get-ups and he wanted to work his way back towards swings again. And he hit a deadlift PR, kettlebell deadlift, you know, uh, but he lifted a heavier kettlebell than he'd ever lifted post-surgery than he had ever done pre-surgery. Um, he was able to do uh, Turkish get-ups again and get up off the ground. And I, I mean, I like broke this movement down like you wouldn't believe. And at the end of eight weeks, he decided to quit because he's like, well, we're not really doing anything else. You know, we're only doing all this swings and, and get-up stuff. And I was like, that's exactly what you asked for. <laughs> so the point is that, uh, yeah, I think a lot of times people get into things uh, and for their training, and they have they, they'll have one thing in mind that they'll say, and in reality, what they really want is something that is going to allow them to, bit by bit, feel successful and feel like they're adding on to their skill set, adding on to their uh, the the gains that they're getting. So you might have somebody who who wants to get good at Olympic lifting, but they don't have the patience to do the drills with the PVC pipe. They don't have the patience to do all the preparatory work like they're supposed to in order to be successful. So one thing that can be helpful for people like this is you give them other things that they can do where they feel like they're making progress while they're still preparing themselves, doing the stuff that they have to do in order to get good at, at the O-lifts. Um, and uh, it's, it's uh, an art and a science trying to deal with people's you know, psychology when it comes to training them. But, but by all means, yeah, people want to feel like they're getting results quickly. And so finding something that they can make some measurable gains in as they're training while they're still doing the stuff that they need to do. They're still eating their broccoli, but you give them some steak at the same time. Uh, that's crucial for people's long-term success. Yeah, and I can't imagine all these people who just, you know, go to work, you you get done work, you get food out, you get Grubhub or whatever, you watch Netflix, and it's like, do you have anything that you feel like you're progressing in? Like, do you have yeah. a goal to chase? And I think a lot of people just don't have any goals. or don't. And maybe it's not even they don't even know where to go, where to get started. Like, you know, especially like you see somebody like you or you see an Olympic weightlifting gym, whatever. Like you see 
we're always seeing the black belts out there. We're seeing the yeah. best of the best all the time. So you might be super intimidated to even to know where to get started. A hundred percent. I think part of it is, you know, Dan John is a very famous, actually he's an Olympic lifter. I don't know if, if you're familiar with him. I've heard of him. I haven't read much of his stuff though. Yeah, he's, he's great. I mean, he's, uh, he's in his sixties and he's still competing in Olympic lifting and post he's had both of his hips replaced because he had a congenital defect in his hips. Uh, and he's still, you know, uh, lifting, meddling, and you know, in, in competitions, he's, I love he's it. awesome. Yeah, you'll you'd love the guy. He's very entertaining, um, very very smart. But uh, one of the things that he said is there are three basic things that you need to, to successfully train somebody. One of them is results, the other is community, and the third one is don't make me look stupid. You know, very few people, and which is that one's kind of tough because you don't know what's going to make people feel stupid. Uh, with me, for instance, I feel like I'm, I kind of understand, I've internalized the fact that uh, being humiliated a little bit is like just the cost of entrance if you want to get good at something. Um, and it's kind of fun once in a while too. Yeah, certainly. You know, if your ego is such that you, you can kind of like laugh at yourself and, you know, not give people fodder for making fun of you in the future, like, oh, remember that time that, you know, Angelo got really upset about this or that Alex, you know, totally lost school about that. They won't have any any ammo after that one time anyway. But for a lot of people, they're just very intimidated about trying something new. They don't want to look bad. They're afraid people at the gym are going to you know look at them or stare, or God forbid, make a TikTok you know making fun of their body like you see some of these you know vapid, airheaded TikTok ladies doing. Um, so yeah, I think part of it is this fear of being made to look stupid. Uh, part of it is they don't know where to start. They don't really have any particular passion for something, you know, fitness wise, even though they know they should get in shape. There's to them. It's all, it all feel like, feels like the PVC pipe drills. You know, it's like they're doing it because they're being told to do it. You know, they don't, not because they can feel any, any particular improvement. And again, this is not to say that the PVC pipe drills are not good. Obviously it's a, it's a necessity, but rather they like, People aren't motivated by things that are good for them. They're motivated by things that are entertaining. That's why Netflix is so appealing. You sit down and you watch other people doing cool stuff and you, you know, you're entertained. Um, until you can make your training feel at least somewhat like that, where it's like um, you start off with like some sense that you're going to have an, an enjoyable experience. You know, It's not like watching the latest Marvel movie or whatever it is that people you know, clamor to, to see in the theaters. But nevertheless, it's something that gives them a sense of like, I'm having a good time. And then a side effect is that this is good for me and I look better. And, you know, they need that to start with. But it's it's hard to reach people like that because, again, there, usually there's like an issue of I don't want to look dumb. Uh, I'm embarrassed. You know, maybe people are going to stare at me. Um, and uh, once they can cross that hump, I think it's easier to guide them. That That is a big first step is getting them to care. And uh, a lot of a lot of them, it's just it's not a priority, and it's very difficult to to get them to change that mindset. It can be done, but it's it's not easy. I try to when I look at people, you know, on the street, and I, I'm in no way perfect at this, but when I see somebody who may be really overweight or whatever, just out of shape, eating McDonald's, or like you never know if that person went to the gym for the first time that day, and you you never know if they chose a salad instead of a burger where they usually get a Big Mac. So. I, I think, I don't know, I think the gym community can be really intimidating, but at the same time, like, I'm just happy people are there. 
usually 100%. when somebody walks in the door it's like hey what's up man like i don't care that you suck at snatching i i feel like a lot of days when i go to the gym i feel like i suck at what i'm doing and it yeah. it doesn't matter what level you're at but uh i think i don't know like do you feel like everything is always intimidating for people is like how how are you training people in the first place are you having people come to your home or do you work in a gym uh, you know, I used to train people. I trained people in person for a very long time. And then uh, I moved back to Omaha, where I grew up back in like, 2019. And I decided I was going to make everything online because in 2020, I had plans. As you can imagine, most of them got canceled. But I had plans to do a lot of uh, workshops around the world. Like I had something I was working on setting up in Spain, um, England, Czech Republic. Um, I did end up, the only one I actually ended up doing is I had some workshops in Australia. That I that I did it was uh, uh, calisthenics workshops specifically and like more advanced stuff like one arm push-ups, pistol squats, things like that. And um, I was like, well, you know what? I don't want to have to try to tell. First of all, I had an online business anyway. You know, I had been I had been building it up for a couple of years. And then I was like, you know, I don't really want to have to like tell a gym that I'm I'm working at. Hey, I'm going away for two weeks. Uh, see ya. Because then it's going to be like, okay, well, you can't keep doing this because you've got people you got to train. You, can, you know. So I thought, I'm just going to skip the hassle. I'll just make everything online. So um, I sell a wide array of uh, information products ranging from courses to programs, challenges, guides, things like that. But I also do consulting and coaching with people one-on-one. -on -one. And um, um, it is a challenge to do it online. I think it's easier to do it online if you've done it long enough in person. And you know, again, I, I had done it basically since from 2011 to 2019 the majority of my training was done in person and I have very little online in terms of the coaching side of things um so now with rare exceptions it's it's all online okay i that might be good for people too like you get to do it in your home for a while and then maybe when you feel proficient at it then you go into a gym that's the thing too is that like i personally like going to gyms i'm not i don't have one that i'm going to now for strength training stuff i just do it all out of my fortress of swolitude as i like to call my <laughs> I like that humble abode. yeah um but uh but i've gone to gyms in the past and i understand the intimidating feeling there's there's one here in omaha that i was going to that it's like i mean it's not uncommon to see you walk in and there are people benching like 315 for reps you know um not world class by any means but it's also not the sort of a thing you see in most gyms that you go into or deadlifting 500 pounds you know or whatever it may be and um so very strong. It was very much a hardcore gym. Very welcoming. People were always very nice. But you go in there and you see, you know, these people just hoisting obscene poundages or, you know, being like absolutely mammoth bodybuilders. And, you know, you're like me and you're maybe a bit more uh, average sized or whatever. You don't feel, uh, you feel like you're the smallest dude, the smallest and weakest dude there. So, like, I do understand the, the basic feeling, but I have enough skill and other things, I think, where I'm able to kind of, I'm able to sort of sublimate that that feeling long enough if you're starting out it is very intimidating and i think the other thing that's difficult for people when they're starting out uh going to a gym is that there's probably going to be uh like a commute involved you know so maybe 20 minutes in one direction uh and then you got to go there you got to wait on equipment uh you got to shower and change and go back i think for a lot of people it's it's a big ask to get them to go to the gym i'm not saying they shouldn't i'm just saying that for some people, they're going to be better off starting off their training journey at home 
and then maybe graduating to a gym where they have more equipment that's going to be more appropriate to the fitness levels they built themselves up to. Other people are going to be better off just training at home forever because it's going to suit exactly what their goals are. And then there are those who uh, really will take like a duck to water, becoming like a, a gym person. You know, they have one that they that they live close by, or they've just managed to ingrain it into into their routine, and it's not a big deal. But yeah, I've I've long felt that it's very uh, difficult for a lot of the people that I've worked with. Not felt, I've noticed that it's difficult for them to work with uh, to go to a gym and, and do all this stuff. It's better for them to make, make a minimal investment in you know, relevant equipment at home, like pull-up bar, some kettlebells, gymnastics rings, and uh, really help them to accelerate their training forward like that. But then again, if you want to get good at stuff like powerlifting, Olympic lifting, and you don't have the space or you don't have the equipment, by all means, you, know, you want to bite the bullet and go to the gym because not only are you going to have the equipment there, but you're very probably going to be surrounded by people who know more than you and who want to see you succeed. Because like you, you said you see people come in the gym, and maybe they're not in the best shape on earth or their snatch isn't all that great, and you still like to just see them winning. They're coming into the gym, they're putting an effort, and that's a win. And a lot of people don't see it that way. But it really is. If you keep showing up even when you feel like crap, you didn't sleep well, you know, your technique just feels like you know it's taking a nosedive, and you've got a, a surrounding community of people who are cheering you on, you'll keep going. So people really need to find what works best for them, stick with it, have faith that it's going to keep working, and then just stay the course. It's such a cliche thing to say, keep showing up. But I mean, it's so true. Like anything yeah. that you want to be successful at, if you just do it for a long enough period, and obviously like you have to get better, you have to progress, you have to do things that you're make you uncomfortable. But I mean, if you really just keep showing up for a long period of time, you're probably way more likely to be successful than the person who does a lot in the beginning and then just ends up falling off. Exactly. Or the person who shows up only when they feel like it, you know, like, oh, I'm feeling good today. I'm going to go to the gym. I, I think for me, the best habit that I instilled early on was training even when I was in a really bad mood or was, you know, upset about something. Because, you know, I got started training in the in those, you know, hormone adult days of like late teenage years to early 20s where it's you know where uh i think people are just much more dramatic and more prone to being like ah yeah this things didn't work out with this girl or whatever and you don't use that as an excuse to not work out you know you you train anyway so yeah it's 100 percent the case you need to have a uh, i would say forward intent in your training but the most important thing is applying that forward intent by continuing to show up even if you're not going you know, zero to 60 in your training. Maybe it's going to be just a 20 mile an hour day. You're still going to go farther by spending however long doing going 20 miles an hour uh, than zero, which is, you know, the alternative for many people. Just not show up and do nothing. Yeah. I had a coach who said that when I was probably 13 or 14 who said, like, I don't care if you have 60% today, but you better use 100% of that 60%. So, I yeah, I think a lot of people are just more likely to, not do it altogether because it's like, Hey, I don't feel good today, but yeah, go ahead. That's, that's the big thing that, uh, people have a hard time understanding is that like, um, I, I think part of it is it doesn't really help. The fitness industry hasn't helped by saying stuff like go big or go home, give it 110%, no pain, no gain. So people instinctively think, okay, well, if I'm not working out an hour a day, if I'm not going as hard as I absolutely can, then it's a complete waste. And you know, you and I know that it's foolishness. But the average person 
like it, it boggles their mind if you say, no, 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 just go do an easy workout and, uh, you know, maybe commit to like 10 or 20 minutes. And when that's done, go home. You're still going to be better off for it. You're going to be like, I can't even like imagine. I can't even wrap my mind around that. How am I going to get better in 10 or 20 minutes? It's like, well, do you agree that you could spend 10 or 20 minutes a day getting fatter by eating as much McDonald's as you possibly can while you sit on the, you know, on your duff? You're not putting on 10 pounds overnight, but like over the course of a month or two months, you certainly can. And it's that 10 to 20 minute period where you, you know, binge on, on fast food that's doing it. So the reverse is equally true. You know, you spend 10 to 20 minutes uh, doing some sort of training. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to end up sprinting to the puke bucket to finish your, your training. But if you get that in, you're going to notice a difference in a month or two. So, you know, start doing that instead of the uh, McDonald's runs. Yeah, for sure. What's what keeps you motivated in training? So you're in your house a lot. You're just training, and I'm sure you're on the computer. So there's a lot of different directions that you can go. But what do you think keeps you motivated? Hate, <laughs> hatred of mediocrity. I think. Um, no, you know the other thing too is that I I genuinely I say that kind of tongue in cheek because I I don't like to be mediocre. I'm not like super competitive, but like if I so for instance talked about the gym I go into let's say somebody's deadlifting 600 pounds i'm not going to take it personally i'm not going to be like why can't i do that i'm such a loser i'm gonna be like i just haven't put in the work to do that and it's not a priority so i don't feel bad but let's say somebody can do more pull-ups than i can or they can do them heavier i'm going to be like man i really need to you know i really want to get better at my pull-ups because that's something that i care about um what motivates me is that uh, i want to be you know the best version of myself i want to be uh, a good example to my students and the people who uh, who follow my stuff on, on Instagram and Facebook and people who are on my email list and what have you. Um, and I like the way that it feels. I get a sense of accomplishment every time I, I complete a workout and every time I make you know incremental progress toward a goal or I reach a peak that I had never reached before. Uh, I like the way that it feels. And I know that showing up every day and you know putting a check mark on the calendar, like I did a workout today, with, again, with forward intent, even if it wasn't, everything that I had planned, it's, you know, it's more than what I would have done if I just skipped it. That motivates me. But um, most of uh, what most of what keeps me going at this point, I don't think is, is motivation per se, as much as it is. Um, number one, just discipline, knowing that I just feel better, you know, working out. And then also the question, like, what if, like, what if I, I make this change to my programming? Well, I wonder what will happen with my use pull ups as an example, or what will happen with my uh, sprinting or you know whatever it may be and so I'll test things out and if things work well I might have you know an online student of mine or a consulting client to try the same thing or I might uh, try putting an element of that into a new program or a new challenge or something like that and then uh, sell that to people who want to do the training on their own time and don't want to work with me one-on-one -on -one, but still want to do the same thing themselves they still want to uh, train with forward intent um, and knowing that I can help other people uh, I can guide other people from a distance even if it's not um, you know with the one-on-one -on -one coaching or consulting but I can give people something that they can do in the comfort of their own home or the gym or whatever it may be and uh, move boldly forward where they didn't think they were ever going to get to uh, that always makes me feel great you know that stagnation where I feel like I haven't created much lately I haven't made much of a change I haven't moved uh, I haven't moved forward. Uh, that always makes me anxious. And so I know that as long as I'm continuing to 
push myself and try to make some sort of progress, you know, no matter what it may be, uh, I know that I'm doing the thing that I need to be able to do in order to help the people who look to me for help with their own fitness. So I would say that's probably the biggest motivation at this point. That's awesome. Well, I'll definitely get you back on when we have more time, but I uh, just want to wrap up here. Where can people find you if they want to work with you, if they're interested in kettlebells or kind of adding this stuff to their own training? Well, the the best place, the place I'm most active would be, I have stuff all over social media. So you can follow me on Facebook, you know, Instagram, YouTube, all that sort of a thing. Um, I have a daily podcast as well. But uh, what most people seem to like the most, I have this free challenge called the 9-Minute Kettlebell and Bodyweight Challenge. And all you need is a kettlebell or two, some free space on the ground, and 9 minutes. And what's nice is that it's designed to be done in conjunction with your regular training, not apart from it. So you don't have to put your regular workouts to the side. Uh, I've had people tell me they do the 9-Minute Challenge before the regular workouts or they'll do it afterward. Uh, And it's designed to get your body stronger from head to toe, improve your coordination, and specifically to do that by honing in on your gait pattern, your walking pattern. So there are weird moves in there that are probably going to get you stared at at the gym. So you may want to do it at home. But stuff like crawling, uh, loaded carries, or just you know carrying a weight around, and that you know that's it. Uh, as well as a few other kind of moves like that. Um, I've had people tell me that their military press has gone up after they started doing it. Uh, their squats have gotten stronger. Their body feels more resilient, less brittle. So. Um, that is probably where I think most people are going to get the most out of if they start there. If you go to 9minutechallenge.com, that's the number 9minutechallenge.com, you get it for free. Um, I encourage everybody to give it a shot, at least you know, give it a 10 days, 14 days, something like that, and uh, see what it does for you. I think you'll find it to be, you know, again, odd in terms of you know, the moves you'll do because they're probably not the stuff that you're regularly doing. But uh, uh, like I said, if, if other people's... Uh, emails and DMs have been any indicator, you're going to see some pretty cool stuff happen to your strength and mobility and conditioning and all that other good stuff. Awesome, man. Well, I'll definitely get that linked up in the show notes. Thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you for having me on.